Welcome to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of iRelaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Arena Ferguson. Arena spoke on our successful relaunchers panel at our October 2021 iRelaunch Return to Work conference. She's a special needs advocate, a UX, meaning user experience designer journalist, and TEDx curator. Arena took a 10-year career break, staying at home with her four children before deciding to return to the workforce in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, we'll speak with Arena about her experiences freelancing during her career break and her pathway to relaunching a marketing and communications career. We'll also learn about how she upskilled by participating in a UX design program and how that course applies to the work that she's doing. Arena, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for speaking with us. And maybe we could start at the beginning of your career path. If you could give us a summary of your career path that was leading up to your career break and then what led to your career break. Thank you. So the backstory for me is that the the key component here in in my story and how I navigated, you know, the traditional path of college and grad school was that I became a mom of a special needs child at the age of 20. So I was a single mom in my sophomore year of undergrad. So that is a base to my story. That's not everyone's story. So I finished undergrad and I went on immediately to move to New York um, (laughs) years ago. And I decided to move to New York to, uh, you know, pursue a teaching career with a teaching fellows program and to get a, a master's degree. And so I taught and I, you know, learned a lot. I taught in inner city um, a school in New York, in East New York, Brooklyn. And I raised my daughter and I found out she was born deaf, but then she also was diagnosed with autism during that time. And so I really had to decide early on, like I had to have Mm -hmm. a good life for her that was like career based. So I had to make sure that I had a career. So teaching was ideal because of her special needs. So my first career was actually education. It was teaching. I took a year off um, and then went to Boston College for my first master's and Yale for my second master's. And in between those times, I was able to do educational research policy. And I was able to do a couple different things. I taught Um, long-term subbing for a bit in between those times. But I thought that I was going to originally be able to go back to work full-time as an educator post my Yale master's in New Haven, Mm. but that didn't go so well. Mm -hmm. My daughter's autism flared up and I had to take time off. Little did I know that it would take me 10 years to get back to work. Wow. You know, we hear people, I, I hear this over and over People say they expect their career breaks to be much shorter. And then the next thing you know, five or 10 years went by, go by. And I, I know I said that on this podcast a number of times, and that's because we hear it so frequently. So that's quite a long career break, 10 years. I actually took 11 years off myself and we have people, you know, who take 25 years off, but um, definitely a sizable career break. And, um, and actually we have, Another podcast with Suzanne Wall talking about the 10 years that she took off because she had also four children, fourth child 
um, was a child with special needs. So that's another resource uh, for our listeners uh, who are interested in how what happens on a career break with a child with special needs and how you manage a relaunch in that situation. So can you give us a little more background about what happened during the career break, during that 10-year period? Were you 100% focused on on your kids or, or your, your child? And uh, what else was going on during that career break? Thank you for, for asking that. It, it definitely is so funny when you look back, you're like, exactly, what was I doing? Like, why did I go back earlier? Even when you get on the other side, you're wondering, what were you doing during that time? I actually, after it did not work out with me teaching and I needed to take some time off, I actually reconnected with a guy that I knew from high school on Facebook. And he liked my profile picture. He sent me a note asking about me and my daughter. And he was a popular basketball player back then. His name, you had to say both his first and his last name. That's how popular he was. <laughs> and I was just a regular cheerleader. I was not like super popular like him. I was just like kind of regular default cheerleader popular. But anyway, he reached out and I was like, oh my God, you know, you know, Jason Ferguson has reached out to me. And so we connected and started to talk over the phone and we just just really gelled. And I knew I wanted. In fact, it's, it literally was 10 years ago this month wow. that we first had our first date in New York. We decided to meet there. And so that really was the, the huge change that happened for me because we dated and I'm actually moved to Chicago for six months and we eventually got married another six months after that. Uh, he proposed to the stars at the, at the observatory in Northwestern. Wow, that's incredible. So it, was kind of, it was kind of ridiculous. It was awesome. I love that guy. And so after that, I knew, hey, what's going to happen now? Like, will I have a career? And I was applying so hard. I actually applied to Northwestern probably 10 times. Mm-hmm. I was consulting over my resume. She had me in tears telling me how mediocre my resume was. Oh. I, even though I went to Yale. Um, Yale has been used against me a lot, I, honestly, over the years. And so it's been an interesting, that's a whole nother conversation. But nonetheless, I decided during that time that I started a blog in my dorm room at Yale. So I decided to keep writing. Mm-hmm. I was working telecommunications at Yale and doing expository writing and article writing. And I worked um, part time as a student worker for like the religious studies department. So I knew that I could write at a basic level. So I decided I reached out to a blog called Chicago Now, Chicago Tribune blog, Mm -hmm. and I started writing for them for free. And that became, in my mind, a job that I was accountable to someone for that was connecting to a larger brand. And I did that a lot Mm -hmm. over the next day. I did that with probably close to 10 publications from Huffington Post to Fairy God Boss, which is an amazing company now to Ebony Magazine, some some I did get paid for, DFW Child, my first print article that I bought like 10 or 12 of the actual magazines. I was happy to get that first check. Really as late as 2016, I got my first check with my my name on it um, from a print article. Um, And so it I did a lot of that so that I knew that I needed to make sure that my resume was not stale, that I had built a portfolio of writing for when the time came. So as the, as the late 2000 somethings come came into play, by the time 2018 hit, I became a curator for TEDx, which was huge. I gave my first TEDx talk first. It didn't go well, so I wrote about it. Mm. And then I became a curator. 
And that's when things really started to piece together for me as a brand to have the opportunity to even say, hey, soon I'm going to go back to work. All right. So I I just want to highlight and dive into some of this a little bit. So first of all, I want our audience to hear what Arena is saying about writing for free, that there was a period of time you're just establishing yourself initially. And it's like volunteer work. It's strategic volunteer work. You're writing for free. And then ultimately, I don't know at what point somehow it turned into that article that you got paid for at the for the for the print um, publication and then after that did things sort of change that you were, were realizing I'm now only gonna write if I get paid like how did that work the in-between part to the getting paid for the articles versus not getting paid for the articles actually came before influencer culture was defined mm-hmm. it was daughter's 17th birthday and I wanted to have a party for her at American Girl. We had a one-year stint in Texas that we lived, long story, no questions, that we were living in Texas during an election year. Okay. And um and we, you know, my husband's job had had moved us there for that one year. The uh the veteran nonprofit that he worked for and I literally how I got in DFW child is that I used everything that was in front of me to win. That magazine was the magazine at the library when I would take the kids out and I had a newborn and a two, three year old and, you know, a special needs child. And here I am, a stay at home mom. Everything in front of me I used. Mm -hmm. I went to the editor's page on the second page and I pitched the editor. And that's how I got that. And so the same thing happened with my next wave of content. My next wave of content came by way of partnerships with brands. And this happened because my husband said, I get paid a week after, you know, her birthday. So we're going to have to wait until a week after her birthday to do her birthday Mm. party. I said, no, I want the day of. So I wrote a letter. There was a doll coming out called Melody. She was the second black American girl doll that was like, a big deal. And I always loved American Girl. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to them and I pitched them and said, hey, I would write an article for you on my HuffPost blog before HuffPost got rid of all their bloggers. Mm-hmm. I would write an article for you if you you give us the opportunity to like maybe get a doll. They said, not only will we give you a doll, we will give you the entire party. Oh, and you can God. have as many people as you want. Oh, wow. And then I had a four-year relationship with American Girl on my daughter's birthday every year. In fact, my husband's uncle, who's a former temptation, sang in 2019 at her birthday. I have that video where he sang in a private room in the corner at the Grove in Los Angeles. Oh my God. We had a room to ourselves, probably a $700 bill, but we but they that they paid for uh, because of the paid content piece. And so like before influencers or influencers, I learned how to partner with brands. Wow. And that was that was like a key piece to how I learned to pitch and how I learned to deliver. And because I think even when we all we are off work, the word boss kind of, so, sometimes sounds intimidating. So I won't say boss. I'm happy I thought to not say that. We need leadership. Mm-hmm. So we all need a level of leadership. And so if they don't, people don't want to call it a boss, that's okay. You need someone to be accountable too. That's going to, to critique you and that you are going to be working for. 
That's going to help build your stamina so that it's not such a shock when you go back to work and you have a boss. Well, I've had editors as my bosses. I see. So that was an important piece. So that was the filler between the non-paid and the paid. And then it, it, it crossed over. That's incredible. I, 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 I mean, it's amazing. And, and you're right. This was before the influencers as we know it today. Uh, but the idea that you just, this started because you wrote a letter to or email to the American girl people. Wow. They, that woman to this day, like really changed my life because not because we got that stuff. It was amazing for Taylor and it was an amazing opportunity, but it, it also, again, gave me the confidence of the yes and the trust of a stranger to say, I trust you. You're going to deliver. I want to make your daughter happy. You're legit. You're going to make sure that, you know, that you write the article you post. And most of all, I want to make Taylor happy. And we still are in love with American Girls. In fact, I shipped three off myself that I am now giving to girls. So I just shipped three off today. So so no, I say all that to say that it does come with getting the opportunities and having another person, sometimes a woman, to just say yes. That's amazing. I want to also um, focus in on something else you talked about, becoming a curator for TEDx. So I'm just thinking about, again, a volunteer. I, I, I know about TEDx because I actually did a TEDx talk myself um, a, a while ago, um, but it is run by volunteers, TEDx. And so again, you have this volunteer situation, but one, it feels like you it's just a, the ultimate network opportunity. You're meeting so many people. And I wanted to know sort of how you even thought to start doing that and what happened once you got involved in it. No problem. Thanks for asking. Well, I knew my fourth daughter is like a spitfire <laughs> and she should be because she was the impetus to so much change. I actually decided to do a TEDx when I found that I was pregnant with her. She was my fourth child. Mm-hmm. She was a surprise in, in the beginning of 2018. And here I am, January 2018, just when I'm thinking I'm hitting my stride and I'm about to go back. I get pregnant again with Winnie. And I knew that year I had to not only do a TEDx, but I needed to write a book and I needed to get this story out and talk about my journey with Taylor and just, just, just get it out, Mm -hmm. just get it out, just get it out. And not because I wanted the platform or any money or is, I wanted to get that out so that I can move on and go back to work. I think that that not telling my story was holding me back from that next phase of my life. I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do on the other side, even if it was work at Starbucks. I didn't want it to necessarily be a thing. And so I, I, that was a big key for me. So I knew in that year, I really needed to do a TEDx. I applied for it and I knew that I would be about seven to eight months pregnant when it happened, but I didn't tell the curators because we actually never met in person. We met, there was no Google Hangout back then All right. as much because it was pre-COVID. So we actually talked over the phone and we connected and they didn't know that I would be very pregnant when I came in. So actually, you know, I have a reel on, t- on, on YouTube that shows me coming and riding to it and coming up with my big belly and my blue dress. And they were like, oh, hi, you're pregnant. Awesome. I was like, yeah, she's just an extra person. No worries. <laughs> So I get on stage, I prep, just like you know the feeling. Mm-hmm. I get on 
stage, I prep, I'm excited. I found out the day before that I'm the first person. I hired a videography team because that's just Reina. I was worried for some reason, which I guess I had right to be in my gut, that what if something went wrong? And I also wanted to be able to film, you know, my experience leading up to mm. it. So I had a female-led videography team. Wow. One male producer. And they followed me in and they were very great. And, you know, it's downtown LA. And I get on stage and the sound goes out. Oh my gosh. And I'm talking and I hear the sound of the people talking in the back of the stage out of my mic. Oh. I did not stop talking. Mm -hmm. I finished it, I didn't freeze. I stayed confident. I somehow knew it was going to work out. My mentor and my husband are sitting on the first row. And I just just kept talking, mm-hmm. kept telling my story. And I walked off stage and it was so bad that the TEDx team had tears in their eyes. And they were just like, how could this happen? Like, she was one. And the saddest part about it is that they didn't listen to my videographers who tried to tell them how to plug in the house mic. Oh. And, and you know, my videographer, my my lead was a was a woman. Uh-huh. Was a woman. So it was just a pivotal moment. I went backstage and my mentor ran out immediately. You know, four foot Jewish woman, all Irena, all Irena team. She's all team Irena, all <laughs> on her own. She's eight, the power of 8,000 men. And she said, they better let the, you do that over. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. And my videographer said they should let you do that over. So they let me do it over at intermission uh-huh. with no audience there with my husband. Uh-huh. But they let me do it over. My team filmed it oh, because my team was there. Right. And so no one got their footage from the event. Fast forward, and which is devastating because the TEDx is all video. So months later, a young woman reached out and she just kept getting upset on the thread. Where's our footage? Where's our footage? She was one of the TEDx speakers. Mm. She said, this thing of my life, what happened? Did you not get the footage? Like what happened? They would not answer her. I felt bad. I had a newborn by then when he was born healthy that July. It's August. So I went on the TED site. And apply to be a curator. TEDx mm. Women 2018, I which was a life-changing moment. So that's how I became a curator. And I did it three years in a row. Wow. Including last year during COVID. We filmed no audience um, under COVID safe conditions right before they did the second shutdown for Los Angeles. We filmed in like late November, early December at a huge open space and we sent everyone who was over 45 home after they did their individual talk and had everyone on separate couches, separate couches. And because this was pre-vaccine. Right. Wow. That's quite a story. Um, all right. So let me just move on though. Cause I, I want to get into the part, the, the actual relaunch part. And um, I know that in October of 2020, you started working as a copywriter for a digital marketing marketing firm, but then you decided to leave. And I want to know if you could just kind of walk us through how you got the role and then what was it about it that made you realize it was not the right fit? And then what happened? Like, how did you go about leaving and how did you feel when that happened? So I decided on the phone with my husband, like probably September of 2020, during everything, that I was just not happy. I wanted to go back to work. I just I couldn't put the I couldn't put the my finger on it at the time. But I was able to like decompress later and say, 
and reflect and say, I was angry. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of anger. I knew that something needed to change and I knew I wanted to go back to work. And I knew that the circumstances under COVID weren't going to change anytime soon. So I actually just made the decision. And then I got an inbox from a recruiter about a copywriting role at this digital marketing firm that they needed someone to help them rebrand into this new brand. And, you know, they wanted me on it. They were an East Coast team. I would work from 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. And it was like a copywriting sweatshop. (laughs) we, we We were on a time clock. It was good for me. I loved it. I loved going to work. I loved getting up in the morning. I had my snuggly house shoes. I was actually, we had such a small apartment in Los Angeles. We, you know, we live in North Carolina now, but we were in Los Angeles. We had such a small apartment that I had my desk. This is crazy. I have an office now. I had my desk seated in my special needs daughter's bedroom. And so I was in there in the dark with my laptop from five to seven. I put her on the bus and I come back on, and then my nanny would come to do remote learning for the girls. Mm. And then I was able to do lunch and then she would leave. And then, you know, my husband worked five blocks away um, for the consulting firm that he worked for. So it worked out great that, you know, we had that timing and it was wonderful. I loved it. But then I realized that when they hired me, they knew that I was overqualified for the role. But they hired me under a young man who was about 25. And I think they were using me to probably push him out and have me as the head copywriter. Uh So it created a thing with us where we were like, you know, I was Scottie Pippen. He was Michael Jordan. I did. I did all the I, I did all the ego things that women do to make sure that the man feels confident and that I got you and we're a team. Mm -hmm. But women like how did our mothers do it where you do it at home and you do it at work? Like, how did they even do it? I just want to send every mom a thousand dollars right now, mm-hmm. like our, our moms, you know, because I don't even understand how they navigated it. It was hard. And I breathe, I was breathing into it. And then I said, you know, I'm in this program, this Pledge to Equality Scholarship Program with Udacity. I'm taking a UX design nano degree, which is going to catapult me and finally give me the technical skill that goes along with what I do, which is content. And I didn't know until another woman told me four or five months ago that UX design, and I'm at a, I'm enrolled in a conference that was going on the last few, next few days, UX design merged with content. It means that you're a content designer. And that really helped me to place myself in something that I never had a name for. Mm-hmm. All that being said, at the time, I knew I needed the UX design degree. So I focused solely on that, especially when I found out that this company, Udacity, had an internship that would be paid for the summer. So I put all of my energy into that and decided to resign from the role. And when you saw that internship, this is the program that you're talking about. Um, did you, is this normally for people who are right out of college and you are a non-traditional candidate or is it for people with a range of backgrounds? Great question. They called it almost the wrong word, which is why I like relaunch mm-hmm. instead of free. Um, I They should have called it more of a fellowship of more of a, even a returnship because the people of the that were enrolled in the internship had professional, we were all older, had professional standing. And to have us to be interns was another kind of like smack in the face. Yep. So it was an interesting 
dynamic to it. And I can speak more to that later, but the, but it definitely was challenging. And it was only 10 of us, well, actually less than 10 of us, but, um, but out of a thousand people who applied for the nano degree program, there were only 10 slots or less for the internship. But I knew I was going to get one because every Sunday I was on as a student leader. I was on their Slack. I was I was very involved. But in order to do that and go full throttle, finish the course and be front center to apply for that, I needed to not do my full time role and, and place my bet. And I won't because now I make double the salary mm. as I did at the time. So that I needed to take that gamble. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a gamble though. And, and you did it. Um, so that, that was an internship, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word that lasted through the summer. And then you started, you got a contract role out of that at Udacity or what happened? No, I got a, I got a full-time. You got a full-time role. So Udacity itself hired you at the end of this program. At the end of this program, Udacity hired me. They hired me as the marketing communications manager. And however, there was a point during the time where I have to be transparent on, and Udacity knows this as well, that we weren't sure what was next. Mm -hmm. We weren't sure that it would lead to that. So I had to set myself up. And this is the part that I hope women can take away as well. Even when you think that the obvious is coming, and it's not set up for you, you still have to pivot. I thought that they would hire me for sure. And when I learned that they may not hire me for sure, I just I had to go and apply for 60 jobs and I had 20 interviews. Wow. That's a that's an amazing yield of, of interviews from 60 applications. 60 applications, 20 interviews. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I had to I had to be aggressive because I knew that all of the, the work that I had put in to be back working. Um, it wasn't just the financial. It was what I had waited on for 20 years. And that's what I try to explain to people when they see the shiny and they see like, oh, Irena, you're amazing. Or, oh, you did blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it only took me 20 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it only took me walking out the hospital with a newborn to finally get to what I, that I would have loved to been at a decade ago or 15 years ago. So it's no regrets. But it's definitely to say I knew that I wanted a six-figure salary in tech, period. And I knew that I had to stay the course until I got that. Wow. Um, when you were taking this course, did you feel intimidated at all? Was was there a technology piece of it that you thought, whoa, or, or, or were you just kind of like open and curious and you just took it and, and that wasn't a factor? It wasn't my first go at this particular platform. I had taken a front end developer course while I was pregnant. And, you know, when I was pregnant with Winnie back in 2018, I had taken a front end developer course with Udacity and it I didn't do well. And I was kind of devastated because I knew that everyone I talked to in tech, everyone I talked to in the startup world is that if you're not technical, who are you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like they, they make you feel like you don't matter. And so even if I knew one day I wanted to launch a product or have my own startup, I had to have a technical skill. So when I learned about UX design, it was so great because I actually the, the coursework was not challenging for me in that. It was just about going through and practicing. And it was one night, you know, it seems so stereotypical, but it happens for like a lot of women and men. It was one night when I had my daughter just on me at like midnight. She was still up 
And I was like working through the design sketches and it was a hard lesson. I think it was like lesson three or something. And I knew right then that I had, I knew I loved what I was doing. And I knew that I had worked hard enough to cross over to that threshold of, I like this. And I'm sure you find this with your career now, even like Mm -hmm. it's that threshold of like, you know what? But it was worth it. Exactly. This is what I want to do. And so that sweet spot came with the challenge. So sometimes it's about just going through it. It's not formulaic. It's still going to be a personal and professional process as you upskill. It's not super easy. You know, that's that's one of the things we talk about with relaunchers. I mean, I was 42 years old when I figured out what I wanted to do. And it's something that makes us stand out and makes us great in that we're more fully formed. We know ourselves better and we're in a better position. We're not in the exploratory career mode so much as we sh- as we should be when we're earlier in our careers. And we, the career break gives us this opportunity to reflect on where our interests and skills are strongest now. And that is one of the reasons that when you're talking to a relauncher, you're talking to someone who's gone through that process and really knows themselves well. So perfect illustration. I, I just want to ask you one question about the comment when you said you took that front end development course and you didn't do well. So, and but then you still had the resilience and the just, I don't know, the, the, uh, the, the um, grit to like move forward and ultimately get to this part of technology that was this right combination of things that the UX, the UX design that was perfect. But what happened in that moment when you didn't do well in the course? Were you discouraged in that moment? And then it take you a while to start come back or what happened there? I was definitely discouraged. I remember telling a friend how I finished it and I know I didn't learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever like finished mm-hmm. something and you know you didn't learn it well? You know you can't replicate mm-hmm. it. And that's what happened with that course. It was it was moms can code, moms who code, moms can code. They were just a small group that I had met, got connected with on Facebook. They were game changing for me. Again, every little piece. They're the ones who actually sent me to do press, <laughs> i.e., what I have been doing in partnerships to pregnant to Mountain View to Silicon Valley to a Udacity conference. Ah. So that actually helped me stay connected to Udacity because I had taken that course and though I didn't do well. And what also helped me, and this is a trigger alert, I won't stay on it long. um, I did have a miscarriage years before, back in around 2015, that made me stop using the word failure. Mm -hmm. Because I used to, you know, coming from the East Coast, coming from New England for nine years, right? Being on the East Coast for nine years, we can be a little intense, but we cute, right? We're nice, but we can be intense. You know, I love Boston. I love some, some people in New England, not everyone can be intense. And so when I was at Yale, it was you either win or you fail. Mm. You have this bar. The reason why I didn't get my doctorate is because they told me I had to be twice as good as a woman of color. I had to be perfection. Even with a special needs child, my score had to be perfect. Um, You either win or you lose or you're excellent or you fail. There was no in between. And so when I had that miscarriage, that helped me to not see the things that didn't go well as failure. I stopped that. So that's what helped me get over to answer your question, helped me process the front end developer 
um, nano degree, I was like, okay, it didn't do well. It's okay. You didn't fail because fail, the word failure keeps you in a space that is just psychologically unhealthy. It didn't work out. It's going to be okay. I'm going to get another chance. I can rest and try again. So when I saw that, that, that opportunity for pledge to equality, I applied. And you always apply and you always apply because sometimes it'll take a ton of applications. And I've heard a lot of no's over the years, but the yeses have really worked in my favor. Well, very strong messaging there. I hope everyone is listening closely. Um, Arena, can you give us a window into a typical day and what do you do in this role? And was there a leap that you had to take from what you learned in the course to what you're actually doing on the job? Thank you for that. The The thing that really, honestly, so to walk you through a typical day, you know, I have a team, I have, you know, Slack, I have um, a supervisor that I'm accountable to. I, I'm under the director of communications, um, PR person for you know, Udacity. So she does all things communications and PR, but she also is over the blog, which is our content stream for Udacity. There are so many layers to Udacity, so many different jobs, so many different roles. My typical day is making sure I'm supporting the blog. Um, We had another person that was over the blog before. Some things are transitioning. So I have a coworker. I just hopped off with her about an hour ago in California, who I make sure I try to see every day and treat her like she's the coworker next to me, um, be positive, affirming, I'm supportive, available. And so, you know, she's basically my main just coworker. I don't have a large team right now as the content team is built out. So that's my typical day, making sure I do my assignments, have the assignment board, communicating in Slack, keeping my dates up to date. I think the thing that I would love women to know to, to teach them is about the the current systems of communicating and what the day-to-day looks like and the professional aspect of work because it's changed so much. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the women who come in now, they aren't under this rigorous system and they, you know, don't have anybody, you know, trying to come on to them in the break room. Like, you know, it's like so it's like it's so it's kind of some different protective measures that they can have flexibility around home and life. I decided to rent an office at a co-working space. I'm here about three days a week and we have an office at home that I use. And then, you know, my husband has his role and I gave him a desk on <laughs> his, his, his desktop is over there. But but yeah, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Oh, wow. Well, that's amazing. Um, and we're wrapping up now. So I want to end with the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? The best piece of advice that I can give relaunchers is was two parts. Take what, what you've learned in your relaunching time from PTA to volunteering to your alumni groups to your uh, projects that you've worked on, even your home life. Make sure to keep those going, even some that are tangible, that have supervisors of sorts or leaders that you are under or teams that you're a part of and lean into those roles. The head volunteer role, learn more, learn as much as you can about systems, about technology, even at a basic level. And don't be intimidated. And even if you are, 
go ahead and try your best and ask questions. That's the first part. But the second part is take those things I just talked about and put them on your resume. Your resume is very important. Your resume and portfolio are what people are going to want to see. So by portfolio is if you're a writer or a designer or artist or a photographer, right? So imagine even if you do photography on the side at home, you get that Canon camera and you can create a portfolio as an option to show that you know how to design things and you have a creative piece. Your resume is very important. I can't stress it enough. I love my perfect resume. It's it's really less intimidating than sitting down at your computer and trying to do that. Don't do that. Use a template um, that is going to be built for you that you can fill in and use a resume generator that's going to allow you to just put your experiences in and it populates it for you. Mm-hmm. When in doubt around technology, Google what you need and generator. I promise you it's out there. There are even name generators. You don't even have to think of your baby name anymore. There are generators for everything. There's generators for titles. My coworker, I just like gave her a, a, a website to generate blog titles, right? Wow. With the keyword. There are generators for everything. There's a bio generator out there. Okay. There are bio generators where you just fill in like five different parts and it, it populates it for you. And now there's AI around writing copy. So it's so many generators. If you feel intimidated, say headline generator, Twitter bio generator. Just Google it and see what you can find. Um, pass the ad portion, five rows down. Right. Don't add piece so much. Go down a little lower and just explore and see how technology can help you generate what you need without having complete panic attacks or stress. So, but the resume is huge. That is such a great advice. No one has ever said that before. So, well, there's a lot of discussion about the, you know, your first line of defense, um, even once you're on the job, is using is doing search and and looking at uh, YouTube videos. But the idea of your topic and then adding the word generator next to it, yeah. that um, we're going to have to incorporate that into suggestions for relaunchers generally. So thank you very much. Absolutely. No problem. <laughs> no problem. Or the resume could cause so many anxiety attacks and overwhelming and procrastination. Mm, so Love it. All right, Arena, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was great to be a part of this. I hope that this, this chat helped women and helped their confidence around what next steps are. I'm so grateful to be able to give it. I needed it for sure and still need the support. Well, I know people are going to gain so much from listening to this podcast. So thank you. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. For more information on I Relaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.